Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'm going to be your host today. On the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices for leading teams, for driving and executing strategy, and other best practices as it relates to leadership and team development. And our goal here on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and executable tips that you can use right away to support the growth of your organization or your business. So if you enjoy today's episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can follow us on YouTube for other bonus content on strategy and leadership, or, and you can join in on the conversation on Facebook in the strategy and leadership community. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Dr. Tracy Jones, who is the president of Tremendous Leadership. Tracy, how are you today? I'm tremendous, Anthony. Thank you. Awesome. I'm excited to chat. Um, We had some audio difficulty just before this, full disclosure, but we're on it now. This is the challenge with working at home and dealing with a crisis, but we're making it. Yes. That's what's important. (laughs) I'm stoked to chat with you. I'm stoked to have your background and everything uh, that you've done and you're doing. So maybe you can give a little bit of your background for our listeners to know who is Dr. Tracy Jones. Oh, thank you so much. Well, first of all, thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, hope you get a lot, of, a lot of good stuff out of uh, honing your leadership chops today. From South Central PA and grew up in uh, outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and went to five years of military academies. I actually graduated from the Air Force Academy and uh, was an aircraft maintenance officer on fighter jets. Uh, got to deploy to the first Gulf War, the Bosnian War, got to live all over the world, the Middle East, Europe. It was really uh, an incredible experience, great leadership experience. I got out of the military and I moved down to Austin, Texas for something completely different. And I got into the world of high volume manufacturing in the semiconductor industry, which was also a tremendous experience. After that, I moved to St. Louis, Missouri and worked for Northrop Grumman in their space technology division. And then for the National Security Agency running one of their classified facilities in downtown St. Louis. And then for something completely different, uh, my father, who was uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones, who was one of the top 25 legends in personal development, um, wrote a book called Life is Tremendous back in 67 that has never gone out of print. He uh, transitioned to glory and uh, I had the opportunity to come back home and run a small niche speaking and publishing company, which um, was a complete divergence from anything I'd had done before. I'm an engineer, I'm an analytic, and I got to come back to the wonderful world of small business entrepreneurship. So I uh, came back home in 2009, and that's where I've been for the last 11 years. Uh, it was executive books, and then it was Tremendous Light Books, and now Tremendous Leadership. And we are uh, the premier provider of motivational and leadership personal development material. So that's about me. I love that. And then you just completed your doctoral process, doctoral uh, thesis. I don't know what the process is. Yes, <laughs> I, I sure did. I just earned my, my PhD and I didn't realize this, but people told me PhD stands for piled high and deep. And I just totally cracked up. I'm like, yeah, that's about, that's about right. So um, I, you know, as I came back and five years ago, I actually saw an email where I had applied to the program, the doctoral program. And I have always wanted a PhD. And for those of you that are out there on the fence about this, please do it. 
It's the greatest thing. It teaches you critical thinking skills. It teaches you so much, uh, you know, that you thought you knew. And so I went back in because I was finding that I was speaking to more and more audiences and more and more people in the audience had their PhD. And I thought, well, you know what? If I'm going to be the quote leadership expert, I really need to have my terminal degree in leadership. So some people are like, well, why don't you get it? Yeah. Do you want to make more money? What do you think you're going to get out of it? And I'm like, what I'm going to get out of it is I'm going to learn how to be a better leader. And I'm going to understand the research. I mean, I had, you've heard my background. I have a lot of street smarts. I mean, I'm pretty savvy when it comes to organizations and the rough and tumble and the, you know, the workings of bureaucracies and, and small businesses. But I really wanted to understand the grounded research that hinged on leadership. And it was incredible because on one hand, you think you know it all, but then you get into the research and you're like, wow, if only I would have known that 20 years ago, I could have really avoided that crash or navigated out of that problem sooner. But it was, you know, I beat myself up for about the first six months and realized, you know what, as leaders, all we can do is the best we can do. And as long as every day you are learning more about yourself and how to be a better leader, hey, that's the end goal. So I got my PhD awarded last month. Uh, My dissertation is published and it was on leader emergence in an organizational crisis. And it was a case study in follower self-efficacy. So Anthony, I was really about two years into my leadership studies. I'm like, you know what? All you're doing is pinning everything in the organization on the leader. And I've been a leader enough, and I'm sure you have and our listeners have been, that you can be the greatest leader in the world, but you got to have good, exemplary, mature followers. Otherwise, there are going to be some people that are going to fight you tooth and nail no matter what. And so I really wanted to reverse the lens on leadership and look at followership and how followership impacts the leader. Because I always tell people... If you want a better leader, be a better follower. If you want a better spouse, be a better partner. If you want a better parent, be a better kid. You know, it, it's, it's this dance between the two of us that really makes leadership. So I completed that in December and uh, I'm really enjoying I have a book coming out on, on the findings and I'm really excited about some of the universal lessons that we can transfer to all different organizations um, that deal with people. Okay, great. That was a lot. So let me (laughs) try to unpack that. So you got a lot of street smarts. You've been working on complicated things, but one could argue that they're the simpler things because they're machines and they have a specific way to work and humans Ah, have a weird way to work. So we're not, well, we might go there. You're a leader, a tremendous leader, and you're analytical. So, you know, there's some emotive leaders and then there's analytical leaders. And how do you balance that? sort of left brain, right brain. I'd be interested to know, given all of the geographic changes that you've made, if you found a difference in terms of culture, as in, you know, if you're in Pennsylvania, is it different than dealing with somebody on the West Coast or in Texas from a leadership perspective? Or is it more relevant to, you know, what boils down to the heart of leadership and then the leader emergence in organizational crisis follower self-efficacy is in, you know, what are the things that we can take away from that? And when I say we, I really mean you, the listener Mm -hmm. can take away from that dealing with either the crisis that you're dealing with now or uh, a future crisis or an operational crisis like a merger that doesn't go through or something Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. tell me more about this follower self-efficacy and how do followers work in crisis and then how do leaders work in crisis? 
Well, you, you kind of, when you went into the things that you kind of threaded back to what I said, I will say for the listeners, your leadership approach and your response to a crisis is very contextualized. It is not, and you know, Ken Blanchard started with it, with the situational leadership. You really have to put on whatever hat. And when I speak to the Mennonites and when I speak to the young, hip, cool cats, I, I wear different hats and I will approach it. And for our listeners, there's a free online test called the LPC test. And that stands for least preferred coworker. Okay. And I know that is totally funny and I still laugh about it, but what it does is it tells if you skew more task oriented or you're more relationship oriented. And so leaders need to kind of be, now I, I favor task. Okay. I'm a getter done. I, I just, that's, that's how I'm coded, but I do understand in a crisis, you're monitoring the distress of your organization and you've got this uncertain emotion component. You know, I've been to war, so it's just like, okay, you know, just get up. There's no crying in the foxhole. Just just dig in, dig in and get to work. But not everybody in your team is going to be like that. So it's really important to kind of understand each of your followers will look to you for a different role to fill. And there's typically in a crisis, um, three roles that leaders need to fill. They need to be either be a savior, which is, you know, like maybe after 9-11, where George Bush stood on the top of the rubble and gave that speech. People need to know, you know, the world is falling. We need a savior. Okay. You have to also emerge as a sense maker. Boy, just like today, there's so many different things coming in and and people are just fed up because they're like, how do we even make sense of it? So the leader has to be able to take all these different threads, remain calm, not jump to conclusions, not overreact and not underreact. And then the other thing the leader is typically seen as is an ethicist. They really have to do the right thing for the most amount of people. Um, Maybe it's, it's going the extra mile by letting people work from home. Maybe that's extending, letting them burn extra, you know, just finding ways to get through through the crisis. So these are kind of the things. Now, some of your followers are looking at the COVID thing and saying, big deal. I get to work from home. I've always wanted to work from home. I've been waiting for this my whole life. Seriously, okay? Not to negate that people are getting sick, but I mean, they're, they're highly adaptive and they're very resilient. So what they have is this, what, what the researchers call it, is they have a very high level of self-efficacy, which if you are efficacious, it means that you got this, hey, I'm going I'm to take lemons and I'm going to make lemonade kind of thing. So you've got, you already have a group of people on your team before the crisis that were like that, you know who who they are. Then you have people that even if they stub their toe, they're going to think the sky is falling. For example, I um, did this merger study where everybody in this merger was guaranteed a job guaranteed a job. And yet when I interviewed some of those followers, they were so stressed out about losing their job. So even though there was no reason to be scared, they were scared. So some people, some of your followers are going to be more prone to this fear tendency and this flight tendency. And so you just as a leader have to be aware that you keep dripping out the message, you stay calm, and you monitor the distress of what people are going through. But People that are going to come out of this strong probably went into this strong and they're going to come out stronger. People that are going to come out of this whole pandemic thing that are still going to be like, the world's never going to be the same. We're not going to be able to do this. They are already what what personality psychologists call highly neurotic people. Okay, and there's a personality trait called neuroticism. There's a free online personality test called the Big Five. And 
N stands for, there's an acronym, O-C-E-A-N, ocean, and N stands for neuroticism. And neuroticism is rumination, hostility, fear, uh, worry, all those traits that, that just kind of you, you, you sue and you, you stew and you stimmer in. So um, what I really found in my research was leaders that can already build resilient, robust teams are really much more capable at getting through a crisis than ones that have these kind of high-end personalities. Because in a crisis, a leader is going to be dealing with the bigger picture. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be dealing with things much more strategic in nature, and they're going to have to have these followers or what I call crisis co-leaders that are going to be able to, and to step up and make things happen and take care of the people that aren't as efficacious. So the time to make that happen, and, and you know, you talk a lot about building a culture. The time to make that happen is before the crisis hits. But if you haven't done that, really, it's to monitor your best people and the ones that are the most resilient and adaptive, you give them, they've been waiting for this. They're like, put me in, I'm ready to serve alongside you. So you give more of the focus to them. The ones that aren't, you try to mitigate that as much as you can. And, you know, that's really how you approach getting through the crisis. LBC, least preferred coworker. Yeah. Ocean. <laughs> I got the, the N. Ends in neurotic. Uh, and is neurotic. Yeah, yeah. And E in that, uh, O is openness to new experiences. Okay. okay. Uh, so, and, and the other thing I wanted to say, Anthony, and I know because I've got like 50 million tests rolling in my head, there's really three things that I look at when I try and build culture. And the first one is, as you said, personality. Okay. So, halfway through my interviews, where I was interviewing this case study, and I'm like looking for this, you know, what did this leader do that made you just, oh, this leader is the greatest. And you know what? I realized halfway through these interviews, I'm like, dear God, there is no such thing as leadership. It's all personality. And I got to tell you, we can plan all this brilliant strategy in the world, but you're still dealing with people. And people are the ones that execute your strategy. So you have to understand that we are weak, we are fickle, we are emotive, we are irrational, and all those good things. And you got you to understand what you're dealing with. So I look for people that are low in neuroticism and high in E and Ocean stands for extroversion. And that's that adaptive capacity. When the going gets tough, Mm, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight another day. I look for people that are intrinsically high in that. And there's a free online test, like I said, to do that, to give them that. The other thing I look for in building a culture, I look for people that have a past experience of hardship or getting kicked. Okay. One of the things I asked them is, what's your biggest failure? When's, when did somebody betray you? When did something go? Because this is the stuff, if you have dealt with the hard stuff, the more hard stuff you deal with, that builds your toughness. And I look at some people that have never had anything bad happen to them. They've never failed. They've never had the rug pulled out from under them. And I'm like, oh, friend, I hope you can go through life like this, but it's probably not going to happen. And the more rough and tumble you are, the more, not jaded, but the more sensitive and aware, and you've lived to fight another day. So if another thing hits you, I mean, I've been through every crisis in the world. So when another crisis hits, I'm like, we're going to figure it out because well, how do I know that? Because we always figure it out. How do I know that? Because I've come through 105 crises. So I look for people that have that. The last thing I look for is people that have a big picture perspective. Okay. So there's two ways I can tell this one, if they are what I call SOBs and what that stands for is self-oriented behavior. 
If you are just there exchanging time for money or what the company can do for you, at the first sign of trouble, all you care about is yourself. Where's my payroll? Am I going to keep my job? You know, you, you think only about yourself. I look for people that exhibit what are called OCBs, organizational citizenship behaviors. And what that means is they've got a bigger picture that, yes, this is tough. Yes, I've had to take a pay cut. Yes, I might have to take a temporary layoff. Yes, I can't go see my loved ones. But you know what? This is all for the greater good, and we're all going to get through this stronger. So it's really this selfishness versus selflessness. And if you as leaders look for followers and co-leaders in your organization like this, those are the people that you need to make sure stay on your team and continue to rise through the ranks. And there are other people, if they're not like that, you need to jettison them because when the fire starts, when the bullets start flying, they're going to run anyways. Okay. So you want to make sure you build a really strong, resilient team before it hits, because the stronger you are, the quicker you're going to be able to pull out of the crisis. So, and for everybody listening, you know, this is not, that was literally and figuratively experience around if bullets have come flying at you. Yeah. But- what I what I took from that, in addition to you know a lot of great acronyms that you can replay after, is that you know if you are, I assert, still going to be in a crisis, it might not be the crisis. It might be a, you know continuation from COVID, and and it might be business as usual. And you may, as I've talked to a lot of CEOs, be in a point where you're saying like, who are the people that I need to keep? Mm. And I have, we'll call it air quotes, discretionary time to spend working perhaps on the business or have to shift my focus. What I'm hearing you say, Tracy, is take this opportunity, and I want to call it a lesson because you have had those hard knocks. You have been there. And because you've been here before, you know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And you know, like, okay, who is my crisis team or who are the people that I want to elevate? And what I heard from you is really like, take the time. So as a leader, take the time to build your team. And that doesn't mean everybody. That really means the people that have that organizational citizenship behavior Mm -hmm. that have that, you know, the past experience, the big picture perspective and elevate those people both so that you can have them support you and you can support them during this time, but also because those are probably going to be the key players that you want to develop around your leadership team in the future. And I, from everything you shared, Tracy, the people will rise to the top. Yes, and those are the people who, perfectly. May, mm-hmm. yeah, they might not have been there before, but you can see with how they're acting and yes. they're calling for, their leadership and they're demonstrating their leadership and it's beholden to you to sort of foster that because I I believe, Tracy, you'll say that if you don't foster it, it's going to die or they're going to leave. Absolutely. Or you're going to retain people that really don't want to be retained. And they're going to just, and I've, and, and some of the organizations I've studied, they've tried to do such a soft approach and just, well, you know, we have to, we have to find a way to make it happen. And these people, it's not about a soft approach. They never wanted to come back into the organization. And so you're just, you're, you're just delaying the inevitable because they're not with you. They're, they're still self-oriented. I mean, you, you said it beautifully. Don't be afraid to make tough calls. These are tough times. And that's the beauty of stuff like this. You really get to see what people are made of. And I tell you, this crisis didn't change anybody. All it did was reveal what was inside. 
Just remember that, okay? The people that are like, you know what, boss, whatever you need, we're going to get through this. They were there all the time, whether you knew it or not, and you hit the nail on the head, Anthony. You need to grab them and you need to keep them close to you because as a leader, you're not going to get out of this without many other co-leaders beside you. And, you know, just a great point you kind of reminded me of, Anthony. You don't need everybody, but you need a core circle of them. Okay. And the rest of the people, they may not be the ones that just love. Some people just love a crisis. It just, it helps them focus and streamline and they, they just love it. Um, you just can't, not everybody's going to be like that, but you just can't have people that fight you that said, well, I don't think we should have come back to work. Well, I don't think that then don't come back to work. Okay. But we, we have to, the purpose, Peter Drucker said, I have a business is to present value and, and provide people with an income and, and give the customer some, something they want. If you don't want that, then don't come back to it. So it's just time to have those tough conversations with people. And this is a great time to do it. So look at the flip side, because there's the, if we look at it as a spectrum, there's the people who are stepping up into those high leadership positions. Mm -hmm. There's the people that are resisting it. And the people who are in the middle, there's nothing wrong with them. Like it's not that you, they're, they are, like, if you think about it in role players, they're playing their role and that you need yes. role players. You can't have everybody be a star because no, but, yeah. everything will go to crap. <laughs> no, that's perfect. And you know, you hit another thing. You hit another nail on the head. There's another free task for our listeners. And it's the Robert Kelly followership typology. It's free online. Robert Kelly wrote The Power of Followership, which is what started me on my dissertation stuff. There are five different types of followers, and you can find out what type of followers you have in your organization. All you need is people that are critical thinkers and that are all in. And like you said, Anthony, not everybody's going to step up to be the second in command or the the, the three-star, the two-star general. But as long as they're critical thinkers and they're not fighting you, that's all you need. Okay. You mentioned working on the business, not in the business. You need um, the generals, but you also need the the crew chiefs and the staff sergeant and the janitors. You need everybody. So that's a great point you had. As long as everybody understands we're all in this together and we're working for a higher goal, some are going to want more leadership roles and responsibilities, and some just want to know that they can trust you and that you're going to navigate them out of it. And either one is beautiful. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. So I'm going to just park that for a second. One of the things that I would caution our listeners, if you have the, you know, the savior, the sense maker, the efficacy, that people will want different things from you. But I think it's also important that you recognize, well, at least recognize where your strength zones are mm. and to like not try to be something that you can't be because it will probably come off as inauthentic and yes. under effective. Absolutely. So Tracy, I want to ask you, we've talked a lot about your work as a researcher and we've talked a lot about, you know, you as a, as a business owner. Now, if we go back to your, your Air Force days, your project manager days, your production manager days, you know, what was that like? What were some of the things that you saw that you're like, man, I really wished, and I don't know if this might be, you know, looking back too much, (laughs) but saying, I wish I had this from my boss or conversely, you know, what kind of worker were you if you didn't have that explicit leadership piece? How did you sort of fall into the rank and file um, throughout that? So that's sort of two questions. Well, thank you. Well, you know, the the beauty is when you're in the military, God, the military for our listeners are in it. It's such a cool thing because you're all in it for the bigger picture. So there's not all this other nonsense. You're just in it 
to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And that's a beautiful clarion call, okay? Um, but I, what I would say, and you, you sign away your rights when you're in the military. It's up to them to do with you what they want. And, and so you kind of, but what I would say, I'm so glad you asked this, Anthony, for when I got in the real world and I got to make my choice as to where I wanted to pick as an employer and who I wanted as my leader, I wish... I could have done more homework and understood who my leader was going to be that I was going to be reporting to and if there was a value congruence. Okay. As you heard, I moved around a lot. Part of that was because I like new things. The other part was I realized I had taken this as far as I could go and somebody was going to have to leave and it was going to have to be me because I wasn't signing the paychecks. Okay. So what I would inevitably get to as an emerging leader is emerging leaders, you have to find that leader and understand who you respect the most. I am an ethicist, okay? So when I got out of the military, which was very black and white, very dichotomous, into areas that were maybe a little more gray, I had a tough time with that, okay? Tougher than other people, but that's just how I'm coded. So for you guys, understand as a leader and as a follower, because we're all leaders and followers. I don't care if you're the CEO, you still got to follow a board. You still got to follow regulations. You still got to follow, you know, your, your higher calling, whatever. I would say understand, and there's tests online too, that can tell you implicit leadership theory and implicit followership theory. Implicit leadership theory is as a leader, who are the followers that really do it for me as a leader, okay? And vice versa, if you're a follower, who are the leaders that are going to bring out the best in you? And when I really understood what kind of a person worked best for me, then I could really look to hire people that I knew would get me and not think that I was the devil incarnate. You know what I'm saying? Like Meryl Streep and the devil wears Prada kind of thing. So it's really important, you two for emerging leaders, if you're in your organization or you even, Anthony, when you go to work for a company, make sure there's a value congruence, that you're equally yoked. You know, that's a biblical term typically for marriage. But I got to tell you, you need to make sure you're professionally equally yoked too, because otherwise you may think this is a great job and you may get great perks and you may get a great salary, but there's going to start to be a rub because there's going to be a value conflict. All right. And it's going to come to a head. So that that's the thing looking back. I wish because I was a follower and I wish I would have done more due diligence and more organizational reconnaissance to find out about my leader, if I was going to click with them and about the organization to make sure. Now, every organization I work for, I love what they did. I, I jive with the mission. But you know, you've heard it said, people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. And I'd have to say in my case, I left a lot of bosses that I was just not a good fit with. And so I could have probably prevented that by doing a little bit more upfront research and asking some more questions. So the onus. So again, if you're, everybody has leaders and followers, and if you don't have followers, then you're just going for a walk, in the words <laughs> of John Maxwell. Um, but I think that it's really important at this time where, at this time of crisis, but, you know, time for, for self-reflection where you mm. can see, you know, who are the best followers for me? But mm -hmm. I think what more relevant is who are the leaders that are going to bring out the best in me? So for mm. all of you that are looking for how you can develop your career and develop just yourself as people, because Tracy, what I heard from you is that just like how you learn was from mistakes and you learn from experience and you learn mm -hmm. from others. And mm -hmm. so if you're anybody who has somebody to learn, like, keep in mind how you can grow. 
And, you know, one of the things I've been taking on in this time is, uh, it's a little bit, not emotional, but awkward for me to say in a podcast, I'm going to say it anyways, <laughs> it is embracing more of my spirituality and looking at, you use the word higher power. Mm-hmm. And just the context of a higher power just means that there's somebody, air quotes, better than you, mm-hmm. which creates a context of growth. Like no matter what, there's there's room for growth. And I think I was probably a little bit cocky and confident saying, oh yeah, I know all this stuff, but that's just so daft. <laughs> and so, you know, being able to, in looking at my spirituality as a person helped me recognize on a day-to-day basis, there was capacity for me to grow because by nature that there was something bigger than me. Mm. And so that helped me. And that is helping me as I try to become a better husband, become a better boss, become a better client and be a better service provider. And it's all born out of that. There's something bigger than me and Mm. there's something that I can learn and grow into. And it's been valuable, but I can't even speak to it at depth because I'm just so early on this journey. But I, I, I so appreciate you coming on this podcast to support our listeners on their journey of growth um, and to support them in, I don't know, creating, maybe getting grounded and yes. using these tools to get grounded in now and any future crisis that they might be going <laughs> through. Um, just as we finish up the podcast here, is there anything else that you 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 want to share that you think our podcast or our listeners should should take away or or could consider as they go on and lead and follow? Well, uh, I'm going to echo on your last comments, and I find the people that are struggling most with what's going on right now are the ones that are uncertain about their future or their legacy or where they're going to be. You know, dogs don't worry about getting sick and dying. Why do we as people? And those that seem the most grounded are the ones that know, you know what, whatever I've done, I've done the best I can, and there are greater things to come. And I got to tell you, that is the most grounding thing of all because some of this stuff isn't going to make sense and it's not going to go the way we want, but it doesn't matter because either you believe in the grand scheme of things, the best is yet to come, or you have no idea what's to come. And that's a very scary way to exist. And I've been in both places and I much prefer the journey, as you said, Anthony, where you're really getting locked in and saying, you know what, I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to finish the race strong. And that's where we're going to end this up. So thank, thank you for including that. Well, you're so welcome. Well, you know, that's just, that's just what was there. So I appreciate you. Uh, mm, beautiful. You, you bringing that out of our conversation. Where can people get a hold of you? Where can they take advantage of some of your tremendous books? Now, how can people connect and follow up? Absolutely. Well, if they get on www.tremendousleadership.com and we, during the first two weeks of the shutdown, we gave away, we have a series of 31 life-changing classics, these little PDF booklets, Message to Garcia, Acres of Diamonds, As a Man Thinketh, you know, the really great thing that you can read in a day and you can say, hey, honey, I read a book in a day. Look how smart I am. And we were giving these downloads away for free and we still are. So sign up for our e-blast. We're giving away free chapters, free books. We just want to pour because right now, you know, I do prison ministry too. And the guys taught me this, don't be killing time, be filling time. And so you want to take this rare pause on everything in life and pack as much learning into it as you can. We may not get this kind of noiseless environment again for a long time. So tremendousleadership.com, love to connect with you. My website, Facebook, YouTube, all that good stuff is on there. And uh, just love to hear from everybody and support, support everybody in their journey in any way we can. 
Fantastic. And I know that hopefully the COVID crisis will be over and done with by the mm-hmm. time the podcast is released, but maybe we can talk about having a little secret section for our <laughs> listeners that might uh, get those things accessed, but we'll see what we can do about that. Yeah, topic. absolutely. And and kind of what you were, we're going to do um, based on the dissertation, if they want to sign up to, we're going to do a crisis leadership series about the top 10 things that we can pull away from any crisis to kind of be prepared for and how to get out of it as quick as possible. Because we control the crisis. The crisis does not control us. Amen. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I love that. My guest today has been Dr. Tracy Jones, who is the president of Tremendous Leadership. Tracy, thank you so much for our conversation today. It's been a blast and I wish you <laughs> nothing but the best moving forward. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was a true honor. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating me at five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And more importantly, send it to somebody who's going to benefit from it because all of us have following and leading to do in all of our relationships, not just our work ones. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. I appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and until next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you're in the process of renewing your strategic plan and you're looking for a framework to align your team and to create a clear vision, clear goals, and a clear roadmap on how to get there, be sure to check out our signature course that will walk you through the process that we've used to create hundreds of strategic plans successfully for organizations all over the world. You'll get instant access to all the videos and documents right away, And so whether you're planning a strategy session in three months, three weeks, or three days, you'll be able to get the most out of your meeting and have everyone be on the same page and bought into your plan. It's the exact same framework that we've used for our clients, and we've packaged it in a way that you can use it easily yourself. So visit smestrategy.net slash course, and you can use the code podcast for $100 off. That's smestrategy.net slash course and use the code podcast for $100 off and you'll get instant access to all of the tools to help you create your strategic plan successfully and have everybody moving forward on the same page. Once again, this is Anthony Taylor with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you real soon.